0: I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, I'm joined by Jeremy Hyman, the founder and principal of Jeremy Hyman Associates, an IT services and consulting company that helps firms make good IT decisions. With over 25 years of experience in the professional services sector and a degree in law, Jeremy is an IT manager, partner, software developer and management consultant. He combines a thorough understanding of professional firms, technical disciplines and effective approach to provide IT leadership and guidance. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Accounting Leaders podcast, Jeremy Hyman.
1: Hi there, Stuart. How are you doing? I'm very well, Jeremy. Wonderful to see you today. It's lovely to see you as well. The magic of technology is actually working. The guys wanted to use the whole video.
0: I said, A, like, I don't want to have to fucking worry about the whole video. Cause then I have to do my hair and I have to get dressed and put pants on and
1: Yeah, I don't want to know. know what you're not wearing, Stuart. <laughs> just for what it's worth. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just for clarity.
0: The whole point of a podcast is I turn up ten minutes late should be informal. I haven't haven't done any research.
1: <laughs> Neither have I, but do you know what? I thought actually, mm. you know, you and I, are we've known each other a while and we're we in have. the same kind of orbit. I think if we can't chat for a bit and get some useful content out of it, then we should both retire. I've been very much looking forward to seeing you.
0: And to be honest, you know, the podcast is just a very fragile excuse to catch up with uh, such esteemed Industry
1: veterans such as yourself. <laughs> oh, God, veterans. That's bad. Yeah. <laughs> so am I making you sound old? Yeah, I didn't want to hear that. Didn't want to hear that.
0: <laughs> Whereabouts are you? Are you in the US? Yes, I'm in uh, Reno, Nevada right now. Oh,
1: yeah. I know Reno.
0: Yeah. Yep, and yep. Um, I came down the hill from Incline this morning, and it's a beautiful blue sky day here. Lovely. Look, look
1: at that. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Very nice
0: and um there's can you just just about see the snow on the on the hills in the in distance.
1: distance yeah and it's, it's actually
0: going to snow some more this week which is ridiculous because it's all the mountains are shut yeah so we're going to go for a walk on the weekend up the hill and uh put some planks on and see what we can find ski down. down lovely yeah.
1: <laughs> very nice very nice i'm in um, northern israel at the moment so i'm about half an hour north of tel aviv And it's been another glorious day here as well. There you
0: go. Just enjoying it. And you spend sort of half your time
1: in Israel, half your time in the UK. Is that still the arrangement at the moment? Yeah, it's something like that. So I'm probably spending two weeks a month in Israel, a week in the UK and a week wherever else I'm working. So a bit of time in the US, a bit of time in Europe. And it's good, actually. I quite like the, you know, as COVID is, I don't think it's gone, but it's subsided. It's a bit easier to travel. It's a bit easier to get out and about, and I enjoy it, really. I enjoy that aspect of it.
0: Yeah, it's got to the point now where, you know, it's relatively straightforward to travel by yourself. Trust me, traveling with a three-year-old is still a fucking pain in the ass. (laughs) Yeah, but it always was. COVID or no
1: COVID. (laughs) It's only the reasons that change from time to time, right?
0: Yes, exactly.
1: No one ever thought, oh, I know what I'll do today. I'll go for a long trip yeah. on a plane with a very young child. <laughs>
0: I'll so get on great. a 17 hour flight yeah. at 10.30 a.m. and travel through two days and yeah. three time zones. Has, has, that sounds a good, like a yeah. good idea, yeah. is not it? Yeah. <laughs> and try and make him wear yeah, a mask. For even worse for is everyone else
1: on the plane. <laughs> yeah, just right. to say. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah it's yeah, still a bus yeah. with wings. That's all it is. Where are you spending your time then? So are you still very US focused or are you really all over the place? How's things looking for you? Well, after two or three years with limited travel
0: in a small touristy mountainside town, we're looking forward to doing some travel this year. And uh, we just got back from Australia. So we did two weeks back seeing family and working in Sydney. And that was just amazing, right? Like The last time I was out there, we had sort of, you know, what, half a dozen people or something. Now we've got 55 and
1: adding three or four a week. <laughs> Goodness me. And that's been an enforced break. You just haven't been able to go to Oz and that's been that. That's right. And they not been able to come out. Yeah. So this has been a big release to be able to visit with them.
0: Yeah. No, it was great. It was really great. I mean, the, obviously the grandparents have had very limited contact with the kids and especially, especially the three-year-old. I mean, the last one they saw him, he was a couple of months old, you know. Yeah. They've had no meaningful contact. No. Now he's just a three-year-old, lovely little Boy, uh, who can be a little prick sometimes, takes after his father, his mum says. <laughs> it's
1: reassuring that we know who the father is. <laughs> that's, that's all yeah, that's it should be. He's got all the same yeah. um spectrum tendencies, you know. Quite. Excellent. And what's driven that growth in the Australian team? Is it more clients? Is it more functionality. What, what, what's the story behind that? Yeah, so
0: John Freeman, my co-founder, and I guess we're in our third company now. is CTO, and yeah, he was in the Bay Area with me, you know, when we first founded the company. But he moved back to Sydney, back to Australia, to Sydney. Uh, what, two or three years ago now, maybe, and and so we're building the product and development teams primarily around him and his senior staff in Sydney and Canberra and the reason we argued about this for quite some period of time in terms of, you know, it's very hard to find talent everywhere in the world but particularly, you know, if you just sort of focus on one geography but he was adamant and and correct, John, you were right, that... For the record. For the record, record, yes. (laughs) If we can transcribe that, (laughs) Lockie and team, that, you know, just with the volume of software that we need to build this year or that we want to build not we don't need to we don't need to do anything with that we want to build the on-ramp for you know new engineering at that pace it makes sense to do it in a in the same physical at least geographically similar locations so we've we've got we have got about 50 desks and about 60 staff in sydney and so we're doing more or less you know somewhere between two and five days a week for the staff but that our hybrid work philosophy hasn't really changed that much throughout COVID. I've always been of the mindset it's work is a great place to, you know, to, the magic happens when people are together. It's very hard to do in 2D. And, yeah, you know, we're sort of getting back to
1: that. What do you feel about that? I think that tech firms have been the least affected by covid lockdowns and by the separation and although you're right people they kind of are a breeding ground for ideas when they're in close proximity to each other it's the nature of the people that work in tech firms that they're not the most social yes yeah and that (laughs) you know sometimes they really are quite happy sitting in a sort of proverbial bedroom cutting code i think the danger with that though and you've got to kind of correct it is that if you want to write software for professionals you've got to understand how professionals think and professionals very much do work together and there is a lot of driving one another through being in the same office. And, you know, good software professionals, they get in the head of their customer. Mm. They don't just write clever code. There'll be 10% who just want to write code. Yeah, that's right. But most people, if you're in UI, if you're in UX, if you're in functionality, the more you understand what your client's trying to achieve, the better the code will be. So you've got to get yourself into a headspace that that reflects that. I think that's where that goes. But yeah, I mean, like you, this COVID didn't come as a surprise for hybrid working. I've worked at home for I don't know how long. (laughs) You know, offices to me just mean paying rates and rent to someone that doesn't deserve it most of the time so quite happy to stop doing that really yeah
0: yeah no we can agree I mean I find it quite I find the debate around Goldman Sachs and other places that are sort of you know insisting on a five-day return to the office I find it quite interesting it's sort of like I find that stance admirable it's not for us but you know They're much better off coming out and saying, look, we are five days. If you don't want to work in an office five days a week, fuck off. Go somewhere else. You know,
1: like- yeah, I hear that. But you know what? All these things, they are reflections of a corporate yes. culture that's wiser than just this. Yep. So Goldman Sachs approached all of the stuff all the time is if you don't want to do what we want to do, go that's and work right. somewhere else, right? That's right. At least it's transparent. But then other <laughs> firms which have been, <laughs> yeah, you know where you stand or, or-, or where you stood. That's right. <laughs> <before> you <exited. laughs> Until you walk down the street, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but then the more collegiate firms, or the more you know relaxed ones, are the ones that are saying yeah hybrid whatever because we believe in you go work wherever you do just make sure the output. That's fine. There. So I think that this is just another manifestation of of the corporate culture of that particular business. Really, you know, correct. There's no newness there.
0: Correct. But I think the transparency is what I'm you know is most important. Right. Like, there's no point in saying oh you know we're all hybrid and you can do one day a week and then. You know, the ones that are getting the promotions and the Ford, you know, the opportunities are the ones that are in the office more, right? Like that's where I think the transparency yep. breaks down.
1: It's not fair on the employee base. Correct. To counter your Goldman Sachs one, Deloitte's have just not renewed a tremendous amount of office space in London, mm. yeah? And I think it's abandoned 250,000 oh, wow. square foot of office space, Yep, which is a huge amount. Yep, And part of that, I guess, is that the office space, I don't know the firm, was maybe being used for back office functions that didn't need prime rental you know property yeah. in in London and I'm quite sure a lot of the tidying up that is ascribed to covid has been on someone's action list for a very long time <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. but clearly also they are adopting a more accommodating approach let's call it that yeah yeah same so work where you want and it's output based yeah. isn't it it's like if you do the job that you need to do i don't mind when or how you yeah. do it
0: no exactly and i'm just doing some half ass internet yeah, research here and they're saying exactly that look we don't really care yeah where you work you know the new world is the new world we've adapted after covid great no problems just yeah you do you just just be honest and
1: transparent about it the only thing i haven't quite said is we wanted to do this for years <laughs> yeah. and covid gave us the excuse we <laughs> needed to do it or any slight nuance to the you're saying Deloitte made the
0: virus in the lab in Wuhan. That's what you're saying. That's what I heard Jeremy Hyman say. But right. I'm
1: absolutely, not, absolutely <laughs> not saying that. Yeah. That would be a good edit. Where are you? I'm, I'm fascinated to know your view because you work closely with more U.S. firms than I do, but I saw that at least one and maybe a couple of firms have opened up virtual offices in the metaverse, right? And, you know, they've said, yeah, come and visit our virtual office and whatever. Are they – just worried that someone else is going to get their domain name and use it? Do you think they're on the right track and that we all want a virtual office? Is it a bit of FOMO? I can't work it out myself. I'm not sure. I think it's all a bit early, but that might just be being a bit grumpy.
0: <laughs> well, we had some another firm, it was a UK firm actually, that we promised to do a podcast in the metaverse. I haven't got around to it yet, so we've got to do that. I would be, okay, so my personal and biased opinion is I would be much more interested in the metaverse if it wasn't being you know a primarily driven by a socially and morally bankrupt company
1: okay let's dive straight into the deep end
0: and <laughs> fine okay yep. and you know one that you know that your visit to that office is not going to be recorded and and you know <laughs> used for machine learning purposes and algorithmic yep. aspects and then I turn on my phone and I've got you know, ads that I... um, Mysteriously, mysteriously, (laughs) yeah, mysteriously. If I can get past those biases, I kind of love the idea. I hate the avatar aspect. I think that's a bit, maybe that's just an entree into sort of what's going to be next, maybe. Yeah. But, you know…
1: It's, it's hard to call it, isn't it? It it's is. It's hard to call. It's not it its hard to call its not It's not clear cut I think the I think the first firm to do it was Prager Metis. Okay. Not, not an insubstantial firm. I better get them on the podcast. Thank you for the tip. Prager Metis, yep. Yeah, and I don't ask for them to get out on the podcast yeah. as well because we quite like to. But they've built out an office and they've got office space and a meeting space. So I think it's somewhere between being early and brave. Yeah. And a bit gimmicky. Yeah. But then there's a couple of like, you know, Three letter dot coms I wish I had registered and never did. So maybe they're just like they're right where they should be in the adoption curve.
0: Ahead of the curve. Look, you know, being too early can be wrong, or being too early is often wrong. Oh, I don't know. There's something about, you know, Leia in Star Wars, right? Appearing as the hologram and having the meeting and
1: Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. Didn't feel too early to me. Yeah. It's fine.
0: I've had a couple of half-assed goes in the company to get the Oculus, yeah, headsets, headsets around some offices or around some people and try it, and they all said, "No, get fucked, Stuart. You're an idiot." <laughs> <laughs> it's nice that you come on that That's level right. of respect, the respect from the team. Sure. And, the, and, and the admiration in the company is just it never wanes. <laughs> no, <laughs> and I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist, Jeremy. I'd love to see. Uh, 3d meetings and give it a go
1: yeah i think it will come i don't know that the technology is sufficiently mature yet but i think we have now you know if we wind back two three four years ago if i would have said to my clients let's meet virtually yeah they wouldn't have understood the question it's not even they would have said no they wouldn't have understood the question they're mid-market cpas accountants whatever It wasn't in their radar. You know, if you wanted to have a video meeting, you had to be a big blue chip with a video conferencing suite and all all of the The things. $35,000 Polycom (laughs) kit. Oh, can you imagine? Yeah. And oddly, you know, the laptops were shipping with webcams, but no one was using them, right? And then now it's the exception, not the rule, to meet in person. That's with COVID in abeyance and whatever. People I find like a conference. They like to be able to meet a hundred people at once and, you know, network and chat. Or like you said, you know, a sort of a state visit to the development floor in Sydney, whatever. Yes. Yep. But the one to ones, the one to twos, the one to threes, not people very relaxed being remote. As that matures, so if if we see avatars coming in there, if we see proper VR headsets that are cheap and comfortable and, and don't heat your brain up while you're trying to use them. I think people like it because it's your brain up. <laughs> but what you get back in return is the most valuable commodity for any professional, which is time. Time you didn't have to spend commuting, time you didn't have to spend parking, time you didn't have to spend waiting for a train or a plane or whatever. And if I can give that back to somebody, they will take that because they can use that time for then whatever is more valuable.
0: Yeah, I think there's something else and like, you know, we're talking today from Israel to Reno and in 2D and, and I love catching up like this and, but there's something else to the 3D aspect, isn't it? There's something, you know, the closer that you can get to that personal contact and it's, and I know we still, you know, we've got an hour scheduled and, you know, we miss out on the small talk a bit that you get from, you know, being in the office, I get that. I think the closer you can get to a real in-person experience, better off the world is right i don't know am i being too optimistic that you form better relationships when the interaction is more real i think hiding behind zoom is a thing
1: (laughs) i think you have more bandwidth and latitude if you meet in person right so where everything is going swimmingly well then teams or zoom works fine because it's a functional transactional experience. That's a great point. Right. Where you need, you know, what you and I would have called the personal touch, right? And a little bit more nuanced conversation. Yep. Then that is much harder to do digitally. And it's impossible, I would argue, to do where you are the only digital party. That's where it really falls apart. Yep. You know, so where you've got three or four people physically meeting and you're, you know, looking down from a 100 inch screen, everyone's looking up your nose, that is pretty hard to have a nuanced conversation from that position yeah so i guess it's horses for courses right you know if i'm in my sports car mode then it's not very useful if i go and buy a bed in ikea and try and pick it up there's a particular (laughs) way of doing it that's going to work right so i think it's not a one-size-fits-all and therefore if you can use your digital interaction for the mundane right and not waste time on that and therefore reserve time for the physical meets that make a real difference then to me that's a pretty good way of working You know, we had plenty of meetings, didn't we, that we really didn't need to have. You know, sat in physical meetings where two hours later, that's two hours of my life I'm never getting back.
0: I love the meetings about the meetings. They're the best.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I once went to a meeting. I shouldn't. I probably shouldn't put this on a thing. But there must have been 17 people in this meeting. It was the first time I'd ever met with this client. Wow. It's a $300,000 meeting. Yeah. Right. And some people came in with food. I was like, that's a bit odd. And they were like, yeah, we've been to these meetings before. And they'd come prepped. (laughs) It was like going camping. So they'd set out their food in front of them, and I was like, okay. Yeah, wow. You know when I bring my sandwich to a meeting, Jeremy's fucking all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's a warning (laughs) sign. Absolutely. But you know what? I'll tell you another subtlety that I've observed in physical meetings versus virtual meetings. Professionals always quite liked physical meetings in their offices because I think that that gave an air of explaining who's in charge. You come to my territory. You come to my territory and I'll fucking tell you what's what. Yeah, exactly. I will give you advice on X, Y, Z. But it's come to my office and I'm going to advise you, right? And by the way, you're not going to be on your laptop checking it on Google. And it's like going to the doctor. You go to their territory and whatever. And I think that quite a few professionals have had to up their game when that protective structure has been taken away from them. And suddenly they've actually, they're on the spot. Where the
0: power balance has is not, is not been initiated, yeah.
1: Yeah, because it it's true, isn't it? You, get, you go into their territory and you are immediately diminished or completely on your back foot because of that.
0: It's 49-51 at, at best, right? It's not 50-50.
1: Correct. And uh, I think that's also had an impact in relationships and it's made professionals have to up their game in their kind of relationship management a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree. And we could get on to the
0: great resignation and all of that stuff. But I think as a travel aficionado, I'm more interested in sort of, you know, perhaps expanding on how relationships are going to work in the new hybrid world and how travel works because I think there's there's some fascinating airline companies and travel companies sort of working on, you know, all kinds of different modes of transport that will... You know sort of goes to your point, right? like you know you can do meaningful travel and get rid of the meaningless meetings and do them you know well, hopefully you don't do them, but you know when you have to do them, you do them like this, and you know things like boom and these different transport companies are making you know hemispheric travel much easier, and so you know that time that you were talking about before, hopefully those global relationships start to reform and and it becomes more carbon efficient, too, or carbon effective, at least.
1: <laughs> I was reading in The Times the other day about electric planes. Yes. Right, which I was gloriously ignorant about. It's one of those things that you read and you realise that you've missed an awful lot that's been going on. And this is a, a, an aircraft, I think, built in the UK, I'm going to say. It can seat six people. Right? It's got a 250-mile range and runs off a battery. And you think, I would like one of those, please, quite soon. And I think the idea of, of personalized. Just don't get to 251 miles, Jeremy. That's the tip. <laughs> yeah, correct. Right. Yeah. There are some issues. Yeah. Uh, it's a new phrase there, of re- a new concept of range anxiety. You're not just going to grind. Range anxiety. Yeah. It's, it has a new meaning when you're at th- 20,000 feet, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. Yeah. But you know, and I know that these are all early adopters and whatever. But, you know, we all laughed at Tesla, right? And this is the most valuable car. I don't know if I laughed, yeah, but I was intrigued. In his early days, he was disregarded as a, as a flash in the pan.
0: He's come full circle. What the fuck is he worrying about Tesla, about Tesla, about Twitter for?
1: Christ, just... Twitter. I don't know. I'm going to wait till I read it on Twitter because that will be definitive. You'll be doing something else while you're doing it. But before you got a, go a rant about him, my point was that even if these things are early stage and not really working, That means we're 10 years out or 15 years out or 20 years out, the point where instead of having a car, I've got some kind of something. I can get in and go 200 miles away without burning any fuel. No, it's amazing. That will be incredible. And that will happen. There's
0: some really interesting ones. Uh, One's called Lyft. Uh, Lyft is the Uber mob. It's more like a drone. It's sort of like, it more looks like a big, big drone that carries. You know, two or three people. That's a really interesting one. I think the boom supersonic one, uh, sorry, EV toll is the one that I was thinking of, EV toll. Anderson Cooper just did a 60 minutes thing. That's sort of like a, you know, personal transport sort of solution. The one that I was referring to before is boom supersonic. So there's, they're not electric. You can't go that fast with an electric plane. But, the, you know,
1: sort of the, Am I showing your age? Did you ever fly on the Concorde? No. My my dad had a Concorde flight. Wow. So, you know, I mean, not not that long ago. And it was still something exotic. But I feel we've traveled backwards on that. Yeah, we have. Concorde is a 1960s technology. Exactly. And we can't do it anymore. You know, we've um, (laughs) (laughs) de-evolved. Yeah.
0: Hang on. We can put this in the podcast notes, can't we? Check out Boom Supersonic. They're out of... um, they're out of Denver. I want to say. I want to say. Hang on, North Carolina, and they're mostly out of Colorado. They're working on the next generation of Concord, and I reckon it's fascinating. It's sort of like they've got you know Paris to Montreal, three hours and forty-five. Los Angeles to Sydney. There we go. There's more interesting. Eight hours thirty. That'd be nice. Yeah, which means anywhere
1: will be eight hours thirty, right? And that'll be the. Uh... I guess so where this leads us to, you know, your your question was what's going to change, is that we'll have more tools at our disposal. So if you wind back to the Industrial Revolution, man was limited in his world or or woman was limited in her world by a radius of travel, how far you could walk, how far you could go on a horse and so on. And then the railways came and that suddenly made the, the country smaller. Now we live in a world where you don't have to travel at all, right? You and I are, I don't know how many nautical miles apart, but quite a few thousand. Makes no difference. Yes. I, if I wanted to come and see you, I could get on a plane this evening and be with you in two days' time, I guess. you know, And so that option is available to me. So we've now got more tools at our disposal, and it will become a function of need, cost, and environmental pressure. Yes. Like how much, how much of the world's resource am I willing to waste in the pursuit of what I want to do? And, and that will be the balancing. 7,292 is the answer. Yep. <laughs> there you go. But that's what, 18 hours of travel, I guess, 20 hours of travel, something like that. That would be the new equation. I can do whatever I want to do from sitting on my backside here and not going anywhere right through to coming and meeting you. And can I afford to do it? Do I want to spend the money? Do I want to create the environmental footprint? Those are my criteria.
0: As Particularly as the time to do that reduces, right? Like, is it worth – Two days of travel there, two days of travel back. It's only me, Jeremy. I mean, let's face it, you're probably not going to do that. (laughs) But if it was, is the, yes. Is that lunch involved? I mean, yeah.
1: (laughs) Maybe. Lunch and a beer. Yeah, you can have half a sandwich. But you know what, as well? I've noticed when I've been flying recently, there's an increased prevalence of Wi Fi. I mean, and properly good Wi Fi. So actually, your dead time in the plane is now somewhat diminished. You're going to show my age here. Do you know what I miss?
0: 18 hours of no Wi Fi. And the concentration that that gives you and the cons you know like i'm as guilty as anybody i try i try try really hard but you know the multitasking you do when you've got internet the best work i've ever done in my life is on an airplane with no wi-fi
1: yeah let me ask you something about i'm trying to do something now which is to have a little bit of a creative space so occasionally clients ask us to write a report for them or an analysis or whatever which takes proper brain time and. You can shut down a load of things on your main computer so that you're not in disturbed. You can switch on a focus mode, but actually there's quite a lot of fiddling just to do that so so what I've been experimenting with is having another desk, another computer, no internet, no nothing, just me, word, word in kind of focus reading mode, and just allowing myself to go over there and be creative and think for an hour, two hours, three hours, or whatever it's going to be, and produce output without. Interruption and without distraction, I like it. do you leave your phone behind, and how, how have you found it? liberating number one, which has been very useful and productive because your brain needs some time to be just your brain, right and not on multitasking multi processing you know everything. I, I have a little bit of it as well. I'm orthodox Jewish, which means that on a Saturday, no phone, no email, no nothing. so I get the concept of absolute isolation from the kind of modern communication. But this is more nuanced because this is using technology and being productive and working, but doing it in an undisturbed fashion. And I think also clients understand it. If they try and get hold of you and you say, I'm sorry, but I'm thinking about something and doing some work, you know, that's what it says when you're out of office. I think most of them think, yeah, that's a good idea. I should be doing that. It's great.
0: In that same vein, the most effective technique, I haven't tried that. I like that idea. The thing that got, I got the most value out of is pomodoro technique. You know the the twenty the twenty. I don't. I'm not familiar with that. Basically, it says, okay, here's 25 minutes, and you are just going to do one thing, right? And then you're going to take a break for five minutes. You can do whatever. And then you're going to do it again. And then you're going to do it again. And what I find when you really concentrate. And when you really do it effectively, you can stop multitasking. You can just ignore everything else. You just turn your phone over, do that thing that you do. You just put your editor up or your whatever. And you've got that little ticker in your ear. And it's a proven technique to focus. It's actually quite effective, but it does take practice. And you just got to block out that, say, hour and a half or whatever it is that you're going to do.
1: And says, okay, I'm just gonna do one thing. You know what? It's a wider malaise. You know, we assume that by doing many things at once we get more done. And by putting in more hours we deliver more. And I don't know. Is it an assumption or just something that we've just been
0: fucking sucked into by Apple and Google and <laughs> Facebook?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Part of it is is that the you know, we can lay the, the blame at technology's door, for sure. But I'm not sure that, you know. I'll tell you an interesting example. Lots of firms that we work with from time to time have a security breach. Yeah. And why did they have a security breach? Because someone clicked a link in an email. And everyone's like, oh, you should be doing security awareness training and you should do this. And have you not used this phishing test or whatever? I'm like, yeah, we do all of that. But you know what? This guy who just clicked on it, this girl who just clicked on it, has got 12 things in her head at that point. Yeah. Got a client yelling, got a target you meant to meet, a thing from an email from home, a text from thing saying the delivery is coming in two minutes' time and you're not home. All of that. And their sin in all of this was they clicked a link on an email that looked 99% accurate. So don't give me the whole, oh, they should have been trained. They've been trained. Right? But we're asking they were them. They are probably doing something else during the just training. to that. do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, probably actually. You're right, though. But do you know what I mean? I do. I absolutely do. Of course they clicked it. Anyone would click it. The thing that annoys me is
1: like ethics creep. Let's call it that, right? So the best – the best ex- Is that a person, the ethics creep? Or you mean like – you don't mean that, do you? I mean there's like – got to keep him away from your I daughters. Think I, him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm him. yeah.
0: Someone on the internet. No, go on. What do you mean by that? I mean like the red dot in Slack is the best example, right? You know, when you've – Right, go on. They know – because they were gamers, they know what attracts your attention, they know what brings you back into the application, and the red dot in the notification gets your attention, you cannot ignore it, right? And could they have made an ethical choice to say, I'm going to make it a blue dot, because a blue dot is not going to generate the same level of addiction addiction and endorphin that says, and it's that same fucking tick, tick, tick or whatever it is, that fucking annoying noise. Yeah. You know, that I will absolutely rule out of this company if I can possibly do it. You know, it's the same, you've got mail, you know, it's the same endorphin rush and every, particularly corporate and let's forget consumer now, because they're, they've morally bankrupted themselves anyway, but enterprise call it social companies you know, have allowed consumer habits to populate the enterprise and command and demand your attention. And to your point, people just get so sucked into, I mean, I've got, what, 15 tabs open here and, and I am giving you my full attention, but, yeah, you know, like it has crept from the consumer into the enterprise and it is a constant demand for your attention I know why they do it. I mean, they sold to Salesforce for, you know, 23 billion or whatever they sold for. That red dot is probably 22 billion of it, right? I get
1: it. I understand. I think there's room for it. You know, you use the word ethics creep. I think it's fine, provided you counteract it with curation that is reasonable. So let me give you an example, right? On my phone, I can put it into do not disturb. But I can also say, unless it's one of these people. Yeah. So I am reasonably saying that if my elderly mum rings, I don't mind what I'm doing, I do want to be disturbed. Yeah. So your red dot challenge is kind of okay as long as the reason they show you the red dot is valid. Yeah? So the worst reason they could church you is that something they want you to do that you don't want to do. But if they constrain that alert to being something that you've said to the system, actually I do want to know about this then maybe I've got a bit more uh, tolerance for that, I guess. Yeah. It's a bit like when you're on holiday, right? Stuart, if you, take, if you take a vacation, a bit of a break, there's some things that you just don't want to know about, but there are some things that you absolutely do want to know about. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll worry while you're on vacation because you don't know about them. I do. I do worry. What about you? Can you do your vacations okay? Well, <laughs> oh, I really would rather you didn't ask me that. <laughs> I went through a phase of being particularly good at it. Well, For most of my life, very bad at it. Then I went through a phase of being really, very good at it and having a tremendous sense of perspective and calmness. Yeah. Uh, but I feel that over the past two years, that has ebbed away a bit. I've been, I've become a bit too nervy, I guess, mm. um, which is not, I don't recognize that in myself normally, but I have recognized that creeping up again, interestingly. COVID is, and the world has made us more on edge, right? More anxious. Yeah, more edgy. Yeah, because we thought we knew what was next. And and actually, subtly, we thought that all of the worst stuff that could happen had probably already happened. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever visited Japan?
0: I haven't been to Japan, no, Jeremy.
1: Okay. If ever you go in a, a very interesting country, Yes. I went to Hiroshima, went to visit Hiroshima. Hiroshima, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Except with my British imperialist view, I know that it should be Hiroshima. Whatever they think in Japan it is, it's actually Hiroshima. Because that's as, a, as a self-aware man once said, yeah. Yes, <laughs> self-aware so, yeah, British ex-imperialist. Anyway, I was there, and the overriding sense I had in Hiroshima was of a town having a party, which is the least likely thing, right? But that was the undercurrent. They had, lovely, they had a, an exhibition of lights and party here and a pub there, whatever. And basically the attitude that I think they had was, we've thought of the worst thing that could possibly happen, and it's already happened. And therefore, I uh, party on. I'm not saying that there's obviously some very somber bits of the city and whatever. I think we, as a kind of quite advanced Western culture, making some money, being able to buy the, the luxury goods that we want, travel where we like, whatever, we've got this sorted, right? And then we have a global pandemic. And then we have a war which has a disproportionate impact, not just on the people living there, but on the whole world, and we find ourselves on the brink of a far worse situation than we might have imagined, and absolutely that makes people edgy, and it absolutely saps the confidence that we are somehow masters of our own destiny, and we've got things pretty sorted. Look at your example. You couldn't go to Australia, which you could have done for $1,000 get on the plane for two years, and there was nothing you could do about it. Nothing. How unempowering is that? Very. And it causes family rifts. It causes
0: anxiety it causes you know grandparents two years for a grandparent is a lot more that you know feels like a lot longer than two long years yeah they're two long years and a 10 year old you know like (laughs) yeah because they're on the other end of the uh the time spectrum
1: so i'm going to turn your ethical point back on you and you know as a software visionary and i'm going to go for veteran (laughs) in this space since you've used that (laughs) phrase without any warning for me but I think it's incumbent then, and and it's responsibility of, of a good CTO, or a good software designer, or whatever it's going to be, to deliver the one thing to professionals that they need, which is a mechanism for them to spend their time as wisely as possible. Right? Everything else you can buy, pretty much. Okay? Time you cannot. And once it's gone, it's gone. So systems ought to be saying, hang on a minute, you don't need to do that, I've got it. You don't need to type that in for the fourth time. I've dealt with it. You don't need to check this. I already did. What you do need to do is ring this person and here's their number. Okay? And then the IT system is the partner of the organic component, the partner of the human. And that, I think, is our responsibility to identify and deliver such systems. I agree. I agree. It's fucking
0: way easier said than done.
1: That's why everyone isn't doing it, right? Yeah. Go stack shelves in Walmart. They're, they will hire you tomorrow, Stuart. But you've got to be the one in X1000 that does it.
0: No, we try. I think we genuinely try. I think we've got an enormous amount of work to do. But I think we at Carbon genuinely try and do that. I think, I think that there's a, you know, sort of feature function. We can edge closer, but it's not until – You have a big big business with a lot of data and a lot of resource a lot of money and a lot of smart people that you can actually deliver you know big chunks of time back to people it's really not about big chunks it's about one percent one percent one percent and the one percent is add up over time
1: for sure i'm not saying everyone can do it by the way i'm saying that even those people that are enabled to do it don't go and do it so defining the mission say i've got all this resource i've got the business i've got the data i've got everything where do I direct it? That's where the responsibility comes. Well, it's a cultural thing too, right? Yeah. Depends who you're
0: building for, right? Like if you're CCH and Thompsons and uh, Iris maybe, who are you building for? You're building for your shareholders. You're not building for your fucking customers anymore, right? You just don't give a shit. And so, you know, we're not building for our shareholders. We love our shareholders. We they, We want them to make money, but we're building for our customers and that's who we care about.
1: I don't think there are two different aims. I think if you build for customers the right way, then you're building for your shareholders. That's, you know, it's the same. Yeah,
0: well, that's our view. It's ultimately not the view of, you know, those that, you know, still send faxes for their renewals, right? <laughs> These companies have forgotten how to
1: build software. I uh <laughs> They don't
0: fucking know how to build software.
1: Well, it was the last time they built it was 25 years ago. I have a luxury that you don't have, which is I just advise. <laughs> I don't actually have to do... The software build, right? I've, I've had a history of being a software builder and I know I'm not very good at it, which is fine, but my job is to advise and to steer and to give strategic direction. And it's interesting what you say about it being a cultural thing because, you know, people bring us in as a factional CTO or as a non-exec or to give some kind of, you know, different view at board level. And they're then surprised when our most of our conversations are not about technology, right? It's not about, you know, how many operations a second you can squeeze out of something or the bandwidth or the resilience. Because to me, those are commodity items. The real difference is in close alignment between technology and people and what motivates people and the behaviors we want to drive. And then I've got the extreme luxury of just saying, if you like all of this, ring Stuart, which is great, right? Because then all of the actual delivery and the challenge and the bugs are someone else.
0: Yes, and and giving you all back all that time that we need hundreds of millions of dollars to build software (laughs) and around and around we go. Exactly.
1: Correct, correct. I completely relax about that. But, you know, your comment is very telling, which is that the best technologists out there don't really get too involved in technology. Funnily enough, they get involved in people because they are way harder, way, way harder to lead.
0: You advise 20 of the top 60 accounting firms in the UK. Where's the world
1: going? Jeremy, tell me, what's Jeremy's worldview? I think that we have become too often slaves to our technology rather than leveraging it. And I think we are seeing a revolution where that gets upended. And funnily enough, you know, you complained a bit about the consumer end of things. I think a lot of it's driven by the consumer end of things. People have an experience on their iPad, on their phone. I just, just question whether that's a great thing.
0: <laughs> for a lot of things, it's good. The consumer end of the enterprise trend has been happening for a while. And it's, it's a good thing on the whole.
1: I think so. People walk around with a phone in their pocket, which basically they really quite like you know, they've, they've dropped $1,000 on it and they've got it as their constant companion and really on the whole, enjoy it. Then they come to work with one of their legacy platform systems and hate it, right? Yeah. Because it's making them work in a way that isn't natural. So I think the, the next wave of technology is the enabler technology, the one that says, do you know what? We just remembered you were human, right? And therefore, we will support you in being the best human you can rather than trying to make you a part of the machine.
0: We can change our tag like carbon. Building human software. There you go.
1: Yeah, there's worse things. <laughs> so I think that's what's next, and and just easing up a bit on the on the kind of monolithic. Here's a system. This is what you do. Here's the training. Carry on. And much much closer to. Can I fit more data on the screen? Is there a square pixel? Is there a pixel left that I can fit something on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just dreadful, isn't it? And a bit more of like we're just enabling you to be a better you. We're helping you to be a better you. You've got lots of talent, lots of skill, but we're just boosting your capacity. We're just helping you in that direction. That's where software needs to be. My, my favorite example, by the way, Stuart, is the system that's most used by most people and the whole globe every day, right? which is Google as their search engine. right? At a very simple level, the Google interface is one box and one button. And Google basically say, type in here what you want and press this button, and we'll do the heavy lifting for you appreciate they spent more on their software than cch did but you know still there's a lot of um you know pressure
0: during the the probably 20 years ago 15 years ago for them to put a lot more on that screen there's a there's, a, there's extensive articles about that and and they resisted and and obviously that was the right choice because he you know remember lycos and yahoo and geez for the for the millennials he won't even know how to spell those things right but they just had so much shit on their screen that no nobody knew where to what was up from down, right? And so and Google won out at the end of the day. I mean, at one stage some of those search firms had more data to search through and, and were, were cataloguing the web better and all that kind of stuff. But
1: Yeah, there were all sorts there was Ask Jeeves, there was Alta Vista. I mean some Yes, yes, I love it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Some names. That have lo- I remember going in about 1990 something to a CIO, at a law firm in London, and he brought up uh, Google. Yeah. And I said, "What's that? I've never seen that." And he said, "This is the future." I was like, "Yeah, I've never heard of it. It'll never go anywhere." So, with my <laughs> usual flair of technology prediction, yeah. So, but yeah, I think I think that simplicity of design is what we're talking about. It let the computer do the heavy lift. Yeah lesson i just went to older vista it was obviously bought by
0: yahoo a million years ago and the screen is covered in shit <laughs> it's just got all kinds of it's got a photo of some creek somewhere and it's got it's got ads it's got you know like there you go some people never learn <laughs>
1: <laughs> I must, i'm must. gonna bring it up as well have a look at it i didn't know it still existed amazing right yeah it is a mess <laughs> There you go, it's the
0: CCH of search engines.
1: <laughs> yeah, so in response to where you, what, your, your question, I think we're going for the computer does more so that the human can do more being a human. And that really is a mantra that hasn't changed in my 25 years of doing this. It's just the technology is catching up with supporting it, I think. How are the firms that you've advised cope with COVID and new normal, et cetera, et cetera? The honest answer is that they've done very well. There was a phrase, wasn't there, in the war when they said he had a good war, which meant that actually they they kind of did alright with it. I would never minimise the huge human toll of COVID. You know, you've seen families decimated and whole communities really reduced, and it's terrible. But I suppose I am at heart an optimist. I look for the good in everything, and quite a lot of. What COVID drove was honesty, right? So we, we had got ourselves into a stage where we weren't really honest with ourselves as businesses We're making enough money to not have to worry about some stuff. We've got some staff that maybe really we should have had honest conversations with, but just leave well enough alone. And COVID was a very harsh light that got shone on things. And it caused firms to really reevaluate some of the decisions that they've made and be a bit braver than they'd ever been before. And I would say that they have benefited from those decisions overall. Worryingly, I see people drifting back into their old ways now and not being quite so sharp and not being quite so tight and not being quite so honest. And it will be interesting to see which firms take what they learned from, let's call it the COVID era, and use it to their betterment going forward and which ones sort of lapse back to where they were.
0: Do you think, was there a big difference between how big firms and small firms coped or do you think it was more related to
1: the culture that they'd engendered pre-COVID? I think big firms tended to cope better because they were more dispassionate about some of the decisions that they made whereas smaller firms were a bit too cosy maybe to have been able to make good decisions or lacked the management apparatus to be able to make and execute a decision you more often find in bigger firms. So I think maybe firms that were sort of 50 and smaller or 75 and smaller struggled a bit more. Firms that were sort of 200 or bigger tended to be pretty comfortable doing it. And also had just a bit more wherewithal and confidence to be able to make a decision and run with it. I think that's what I've seen. And the challenge that we have now is that a lot of firms, or the teams are exhausted. You know, you hinted at the great resignation before. But actually, people are just exhausted. They've been, they've been running at 120% for two years. They've undertaken change at a rate of knots that they would, wouldn't have dreamed of doing. You know, projects that were, for one day maybe, got done in three weeks. And now they need a rest. They need a break. They need a bit of a reset. They need some time to recover.
0: They're reevaluating their life, their values, and where their workplace fits in with that, you know, with that value system.
1: Yeah, and I don't think it needs a great resignation. I think that's an overreaction. But what it needs is an honest conversation with colleagues, with managers, with staff underneath managers, and with clients. No, I don't advise one small sole practitioner never went on holiday. You know, you you talked about vacation before. They went on holiday because always terrified that a client's going to do something and then what they're going to do and whatever. I said, go away for a week. Yeah, and on your out-of-office thing, saying we're having a week off to reset so that I can work for you better when I come back if you really need me, you can text me, but otherwise, please leave me alone for a week. I said, I guarantee you will not lose a client. In fact, you'll get some clients who'll send you out of office to someone else and say, look what my accountant says, it's great. And that's what it was. And and the need for that honest dialogue and reminding everyone at every end of the equation that you're just human and there are certain things you can do and things that you can't. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad advisor or that the world's going to end. It just means that some things can't get done right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a mature relationship then, isn't it, with a client if you have that? I don't don't see any harm to it. And the truth is, you know, just to add to that, if you have got a client that, that doesn't like that, you're better off without them, frankly, because at some point down the line, it's only going to bite you. So better off to, to, to discover that now and uh, politely say goodbye.
0: In terms of all that, though, like, you know,
1: wrapping, putting
0: all that in a bow, how do you look at your business, you know, this year? What's next for... For Jeremy, and what's next for you know the accounting firms that you advise?
1: So we've been very busy through the pandemic. We grew thirty five percent, forty percent, something like that. It was massive growth, and I have been fortunate to surround myself with some very talented associates who've got complementary skills. Or, which complementary skills is a great euphemism. It means they're better at it than I am. Right, that's what that means. So, but we'll say complementary skills, and we will continue to grow and reach. It's not about winning new clients from the people we know. It's about winning clients from the people we don't know and making ourselves known to them and bringing them on board and showing them that some independent advice in the technology arena is valuable in terms of technology, but really is valuable in terms of their practice. And you just said, what's next for our clients? Our clients will grow not in size, but in profitability yeah, and in quality of work and how much they enjoy working with their clients and with their colleagues. Those are the metrics for me
0: yeah we always find the accountants that are happiest the the ones that are most productive the ones with the best morale the ones that we enjoy getting the ones that we enjoy supporting and growing with are the ones that yeah are just helping the clients that they want to help they don't have these miserable clients that that annoy the shit out of them they are on a journey that they enjoy that they love they're with friends that you know colleagues and peers and clients that that they're operating in a world that they get energy from and i think you know that that's what you're saying that's you're using your skills your background your experience to advise on technology that can just help them be better people right
1: yeah and the ones that enjoy that we enjoy working for and the ones that don't that's fine as well you know that's not not everyone has to be a client but you want the people that are to really appreciate what you do and you want to appreciate them back that's that's how it works Hey, Jeremy, this
0: hour has flown
1: by. It's been amazing catching up. <laughs> I do love chatting with you and I love catching up with you. And I'm slightly worried about how much I agree with what you said, but, you know, we can work on that.
0: You'll reflect and so, and, and we can do a, a follow-up and say we'll
1: disagree with 34 out of the 37 things Excellent. you said. <laughs> ah. Ah, nothing wrong with that. Good. Well, look after yourself, my friend, Stuart, and uh, look forward to catching up in virtually or physically or whatever the next occasion that finds us in one another's orbit it will be great. I'd love to. I'd love to, Jeremy. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a 1,000 free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining, and see you on the next episode of the Accounting
1: Leaders podcast.